I can't believe I'm living in this house with Lewis. We made out at a friend's birthday party only a few weeks ago, and now we're sleeping together every night in a grown-up, queen-sized bed. I take a loaf of Wonder Bread out of the bread box as Lewis pads in on white athletic socks. We have the place to ourselves for at least 10 days, and it feels like we've been here forever. I'm excited all the time. There's not much bread left. We'll have to do an A&P run and get more, and maybe some whitefish salad and coleslaw. Gary is sitting at the vinyl upholstered dinette in the corner of the kitchen, smoking a Lucky, head deep in a book. Lewis and I are the mom and dad. Gary's like our child. Lewis opens the refrigerator, retrieves a jar of golden spicy brown mustard, and hands it to me. I pull out a butter knife from the drawer and carry our bounty to the table. I lay out the bread. I'm generous with the mustard. It's my own recipe. It's a wordless ritual. From a back bedroom, Country Joe and the Fish croons. I feel dreamy and content. Tonight's the fugitive, I say. Lewis squeezes my hand. Ten o'clock, Gary says. Two more episodes. Lewis looks over at Gary. I think I'm going to drop acid for the final episode. I let go of his hand and stand up. We're finished with our mustard sandwiches. They go down quickly. I want to read you something, Gary says. We head into one of the bedrooms and sit cross-legged on the bed. Gary picks up his tattered paperback of Harlan Ellison stories and begins to read his favorite story, Repent, Harlequin, said the TikTok man. Gary's voice scares me a bit. I'm watching and listening, but very aware of my position on the bed. Do I look good? Lewis is stretched out near me. I want them to think I am smart, that I get it, that I get why this science fiction story is everything and why Harlan Ellison is a genius. I'm not sure I fully understand the story, but I know they like it because the Harlequin is a revolutionary. Gary reaches the part where jelly beans are raining down onto the crowd below. It's an anarchic act meant to fight the tyranny of time. And it's just about the most amazing thing I've ever heard. It's like I'm in the middle of an animated dream. His voice is getting faster. Is Lewis looking at me? Is my hair falling right? Lewis is leaving for Goddard College in a few weeks. I feel like we're trying to stop time for a bit. Gary and I are dreading it, but I can't show it. My most important job as a teenage girl is to be cool. I'm not that comfortable on the bed. I shift and lean back against Lewis's skinny body for support. The Country Joe album ends, and although we can hear the sound of the stuck tone arm gently riding the last groove on the vinyl, none of us move.
I met Louis when I was 16 years old. He was my first love. He was a skinny, gentle kid with thick glasses. And even then, he was known to be a deep thinker and passionate about social justice. In August 1967, we would spend 10 days together that neither of us would ever forget. Our friend Gary was there, too, always taking photographs. I still have them. Since learning of Gary's death, I had immersed myself in photographs and memories of those 10 days. I imagined myself back there and tried to sort out what I could. Like, whose house were we at? Gary's? Our friend Marshall lived just a few blocks away. Was it his house? His father was living elsewhere with a new wife, and Marshall had the house to himself. But Lewis had always insisted that we were at Gary's. No way. No way. The, the, photograph, the photographs you have of, of you with your head in Lewis's lap, and there was my backyard. There was the shed. Well, that's Marshall. We met up in New York recently and talked over omelets near Grand Central Station, and I had the recorder running. It doesn't make any sense. You, you went into the den where the, TV room, where the TV was and watched whatever that show was. I can't remember what it was, but it was something that you wanted to watch on TV. You were there. You guys were there. You stayed in my mother and father's bed. But wherever we were, Gary's, Marshall's, we made it our house and lived like a little family. You know, I never asked the 10 days what the quality of those 10 days were. I mean, were they heaven on earth, a mixture of hell and earth? That's Eben. I knew him back then as a sweet 15-year-old boy with blonde hair and glasses, now a therapist and musician. We spoke by phone after he responded to my Facebook post of Gary's pictures of Lewis and me from our 10 days in Newark. It sounds uh, idyllic. It was idyllic. And I remember Gary being very focused on both of us. It was as if we were creating some kind of a new family. And uh, it was very safe and it was very beautiful. No, I think you really hit something there. really did. Yeah. And I I think you're absolutely right that I think for Gary, you know, his friends were his family. And if this was like an extension of it or a development of it, it would have been meaningful, so meaningful to him. And I think that's why when people went away, for him it was, I don't the know worst, if he... The worst, yeah. yeah. I don't know if he would have said it was an abandonment, but I think he experienced it as that. So I think, I think you're right. You're right on the money with that um, analogy to family. Do you think that Lewis was finding another family too? I think, no, maybe. But I think Lewis... Louis had much more of a, I think, intact kind of, you know, together sense of self and, you know, psychology. I think Louis was generally a pretty solid um, individual. I knew of Louis, I grew up with Louis, but we we never were necessarily that close. You know, we, we were neighbors. He lived across the street from the school. I would see him. You know, and he came back, you know, he had a bound to him. Do you remember that? Yeah. His gate? Yes. It's yes. kind of the first step was a, almost a leap, like, let's get into it. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. 
He's another guy that I, I have very sweet feelings about. He was never, you know, he was never like rough or insulting or someone hard to deal with. Yeah. You know, I, I never felt anything negative about him. Lewis once told me that we didn't like each other when we first met. In fact, it was when Tom Hayden had come to Newark to organize the first SDS chapter. And I don't remember much about Lewis from that meeting. What did stick in my mind is Tom Hayden sitting on the floor and seeing the holes in his socks. It's funny what you remember and what you don't. According to Lewis, we met again at a party, and that's when something more momentous happened between us. It sounded vaguely familiar, but I called on Eben's extraordinary memory to fill in the missing details. I didn't remember that he was there. Well, all I can tell you about that evening is, as good as my memory is, I can't tell you how I got there. It must have been Marshall or Lewis or somebody said, we're going over to Steve's, you know, his parents won't be there, birthday. I wound up there, and Louis was there, and Marshall was there. And at some point, and you were there, but <laughs> and, I, I I don't think, there. <laughs> and I don't think I knew you. So I don't remember, you know, coming with you or who who brought you, but what I do remember is that at some point, you were upstairs, and the guys were talking about who was going to be going up to, I don't know, fulfill some mandate, manly mandate, <laughs> that, that that apparently you were on board with. Now, I wasn't on that, that, that list, which is a good thing, because I would have jumped through a window and kept running. But, um, Why? You had been scared? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. I, was, I think I was 15 going on 8 at that point. But <laughs> if I can remember, and I think I do remember this well, Louis was wearing his traditional, everybody had a garb. You know, Marshall had the work boots, <laughs> and they weren't dungarees, but kind of a heavy pants that had a thick <laughs> cuff that, that bumped up around, the you know, those those yellow orange boots. Yes, yes. White you know, T-shirt, and, and I, white T-shirt. Do you, you, you remember those work boots? They were kind of, I you do know, now. shape of violet. I do now. And I had to, I had to go out and get a pair based on loving them so much because Marshall wore them. And Louis was, Louis was wearing his denim blue shirt and his slightly darker dungarees, thin, thin as can be, uh, with kind of a, you know, a mo a mo type haircut. Yes, <laughs> I don't know what to call it. Mo, um, his black hair kind of coming over. And at some point, I don't know what happened, Louis was the one that ascended the stairs. The one that I chose. Oh, I, see, I wasn't involved with it. it was, so you, you, you yelled down, uh, bring me, bring me, Louis. No. <laughs> <laughs> How did that work? Uh, uh, no, I, I, I'm assuming. Okay, so let's just insert here that... I don't have any memory of this. Oh, oh but but well. I'm assuming you know you put things together uh, because Louis has more of your memory, and I'll uh, talk to him I more about remember. Oh, he remembers. But um, I was 15. I don't recall going up to a bedroom and summoning Louis to be with me. I didn't want to believe that I was this confident little New Jersey Lolita. It seemed like some other girl was being described. 
I hid my shock and embarrassment with frequent laughter while Eben told me the story. On top of all this, I found out later that Lewis had dropped acid that night. At that point, I know I wasn't doing any kind of substance, you know, other than maybe chunky peanut butter. Um, Louis came kind of bounding down, his hair mussed, you know, like that mo kind of all over the place, and his shirt tail out a bit, and smiling like, um, you know, mission accomplished. Um, and I, don't, I, I might have misinterpreted what that all meant, like, you know, he he achieved um, manhood. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm so sorry to be laughing. I well, mean, I, no, no. <laughs> Maybe, though, again, this could not my, all my projections. No, I don't but, think so. I don't think so. Because because I've when I've spoken to Lewis in the past, he has referenced that night. Oh, yeah, no, no. You're right. It's just that um, I don't remember the, the, the selection, but I know it happened. I don't remember it being that way, like who got to go upstairs and be in the bed with me. What I certainly know is that there was some kind of making out, if you will, and there was something achieved, but not of the magnitude, you know, that he might have hoped. But what's mm-hmm. funny is that you said that, you know, Lewis then came down the stairs, you know, triumphant as if he'd scored. And that I know isn't true. But I, I'm not saying it isn't true that he did that. You, you've you got a brilliant memory about these things, better than any of us so far. But what you I'm know, saying what is I'm, there was nothing to celebrate. Not very much. Not very much. Probably, well, I apologize to Lewis if I'm, if I'm off on this, but I think the impression he gave or wanted to give or maybe later gave was that it was more than just wow you know wow wow he i don't think you need to issue any apologies he is so aware well, i would have done the same thing <laughs> well of course <laughs> i mean of, of no. course i mean no no listen i jokingly dubbed him my memory man he had such a keen recollection of newark families and street names, neighborhood stores, and teachers. I hadn't known Eben all that well when we were young. I was getting to know him now. The same group had been important to us both, and that group was shrinking. It was the news of Gary's recent death that had brought us together. It's somewhat frustrating that Gary, I didn't know that, passed away only months ago. And had you had the opportunity to have his input, it would have been elucidating, but it's gone. In the following days, Adele's song, Hello, blew up. All I heard in my car in stores was, Hello, it's me. I was wondering if after all these years you'd like to meet to go over everything. I'm dreaming about who we used to be when we were younger and free. More and more comments began to appear under the photo of Lewis and me on my Facebook page. Several expressed a similar sentiment. You have to write this story. Tell me more. That kind of thing. This interest urged me to continue with the story that I realized I was already in the middle of writing. 
Eben had given me some other names of people from Newark, and I had set up more phone interviews. And I had begun researching Newark from my years at Weequake High School and the civil unrest of 1967, which had been just a month prior to my August visit and those 10 days that seemed to stand in for a whole world of youthful longing and hope and loss, a sealed sanctuary where my past and even my younger self could be captured and preserved. One night, I was putting away some things in the basement, and I found a small box marked Jewelry and Repairs. Inside were broken pieces, necklace parts, and earrings and charms. I pulled out a small circle that looked familiar, had a peace sign inside, simulating a look of stained glass, ringed in gold, not real gold. And I remembered wearing it as a teenager on a very long chain, thinking it looked cool that way. I brought the charm upstairs and looked for another long chain, thinking maybe this could be my talisman while I continued going into the past. And I found a chain curled up, unused, in the back of my jewelry drawer and attached the peace charm to it. I slipped it over my head. Days in Newark is produced by Scott Shapley and me. I'm Benny Klein. For more information, 10daysinnewark.com.